The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, you are... God of all of the nations of the earth. Remember the multitudes who have been created in your image, but have not known the redeeming work of our Savior Jesus Christ. And grant that by the prayers and the labors of your holy church, that they may be brought to know and worship you as you have been revealed in your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's be honest, if you've been here for the last few weeks, you're probably getting sick and tired of me going on and on about discipleship. But uh, never, thank you. Um, As we say at our house, never! (laughs) When the kids ask, can we have something to eat? Never! the reasons I've been preaching on uh, so much on discipleship and specifically its relationship to evangelism lately is really kind of threefold. And the first is because of repetition. Uh, things of importance get repeated. Hearing about it once or occasionally isn't good enough. You've, uh, you may or may not have heard the joke uh, about the, uh, the preacher who came to town and he had he had uh, been a candidate for for a uh, pastoring position at a local church and um, did very well. Preached a very very sound and eloquent sermon. It was it was phenomenal, and um, the, uh, the the congregation was called after the board met and uh, recommended him for the for the pastoring position at this church. And the congregation voted unanimously to bring him in. He was incredible. They thought he was very well gifted. He had all of the uh, all of the uh, the right qualities, and especially that preaching, it was phenomenal. And so after he moved and uh, got got the uh, moving truck unloaded and the, the parsonage filled up with all of his stuff, he showed up for that first Sunday morning on the job, and he preached an amazing sermon, just what the congregation expected. The board nodded at one another across the congregation, looking at each other. This is the right guy. We we got the one. The very next week, he preached a very similar sermon, almost the same one, maybe reworked some points, but it was basically the same sermon. And the board kind of scratched their heads and looked at each other kind of oddly, but they thought, you know what, the congregation likes it. Did a lot of amens in the congregation, and uh, things went well, and folks seemed really, really glad. They were just happy to have a new, a new pastor there. And so the third Sunday shows up, and wouldn't you know it, the preacher preaches the same exact sermon. Maybe a different story here and there, but it was the same sermon. And so that week, behind his back, the, the, the board called a meeting, and they talked amongst one another and said, what in the world's going on? He's preached the same sermon three weeks in a row. And In fact, that sounds an, awfully lo- uh, an awful lot like the sermon he preached when he was here as a candidate. 
And they said, well, lay leader said, I, look, let me talk with him. We don't want to embarrass him or anything like that. It could just be a slip of the mind or, you know, he's been busy. He's got a lot going on, unloading the truck and unpacking, settling in. Maybe he's just, you know, putting something together on Sunday night or Saturday nights. And so one of those Saturday night specials. I'll, uh, I'll talk with him privately and, and get back with you. So that fourth week, he, uh, the preacher gets up. He preaches an amazing, powerful sermon, but it's the same sermon. So the lay leader says, uh, I'd like to talk with you sometime this the middle part of the week. And he said, okay. Um, so they got together for coffee, and the lay leader said, look, uh, folks are starting to notice something odd. We, you know, we, we love you. The family's great. Uh, things are going well. Uh, man, you're a great preacher. You, 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 keep us, uh, you keep us held on every word. We're really liking it. But some, something curious that we're starting to notice. He said, what's that? He said, uh, you're preaching the same sermon every single Sunday. It's been four weeks now, and you've preached the same thing. And the, and the pastor said, well, you call me to be your pastor. I'm going to keep preaching it until you start living it. Um, hearing about things of importance just every once in a while typically doesn't cut it. We typically be re- need to be reminded and have things kind of beaten into our heads a little bit when they are things of great importance. And things of, of the utmost importance typically are also a solid way to start out a new year. We've begun a new year and, and uh, the first Sunday of January as we were thinking about Epiphany and thinking about Christ being made known to all the world, I I made the statement that evangelism and discipleship are two fundamental issues, fundamental principles of the Christian faith. And it would be a good thing to start the new year off by thinking intensely about discipleship and as disciples, evangelizing the world and inviting others to become disciples of Jesus. So it's an important subject. It's an important way to, uh, important, important enough to be repeated, and it's also an important thing to begin this new year in thinking. And speaking of thinking, you know, evangelism and discipleship, is, it, it is in many ways an issue of the mind. There is, you've heard uh, the the saying, mind over matter. Uh, And I'm not saying mind over matter here, but what we understand discipleship to be and the way we live as disciples of Jesus and especially how we reach out to others and invite them in to come in and to, to, to be disciples of Jesus as well, it really is a matter of the mind in many ways. And we find some peculiar things about the, uh, the, the, um, the Great Commission here in Matthew's account of the Gospel that we often miss if we're, if we're not paying careful attention. The fact is we, we need to think big when we think of discipleship. In fact, often we don't think big enough. Now I've got the, the big letters and the, the small letters kind of flopped on purpose because... Uh, I'm wanting to de-emphasize the word big here, even though I'm talking about big here, because this is not the most important thing. But the fact is that Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, we're misleading ourselves if we, if we don't think about that in a big picture, in a, a world-changing type way. Because what he actually says is, go and disciple the nations. Jesus here is not talking about go and pick out a, a few holy people among the nations and bring them on in out of the nations. 
He is talking about going and changing the world. Going and changing culture. Going and discipling masses of people. Again, go and disciple the nations. Not just make some disciples out of from the nations. And so often in, in, in the world of discipleship, when we think about following Jesus and we think about inviting others to follow Jesus, oftentimes we're not thinking big enough. We're thinking, man, we really can't do all that much. I can't do all that much. There are only so many people that I can invest my life in. There are only so many people that I can have an influence on. And, and, and this sense of world change will never happen. But Jesus called the church to turn the world upside down. And it began to happen because in the book of Acts, you have uh, the civic leaders getting together and they say, look, these are the people that are turning the world upside down and now they've come to our town. So it can be done. If we will think big enough to, to allow for what God wants to do through His church in the world, then we'll be taking steps in the right direction. We need to think big when we think of discipleship. We need to think big in, in, our, in, in the sense of, of what the mission of the church is. It's bigger than just what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. Even in our community, it's, it's bigger than just what we're doing. But also we need to think big in our own lives and realize that Jesus' call to discipleship is, is a call not just to follow Him one day out of the week. It's a call to follow Him with the totality of our lives. So much so that our, our behaviors begin to be changed and also the way we relate to others begin to be changed. And we'll be talking about that specifically here in just a bit. We need to think big. The mind of disciple making calls us to think big, but it also calls us to think small here. And again, I've, I've intentionally swapped out the, the letter sizes here. I've got small and big font because this is really the big issue, even though we're talking about a, quote, small thing. The fact is we often don't think small enough. We get caught up in the theoretical matters of, well, yeah, but what's going to happen to the, to the, the native aborigines who, who's never heard the gospel before? What's going to happen to him on the day of judgment? Or, yeah, but what if somebody's got some real issues and some real questions? We get caught up in all those theoretical things, all of the what ifs. And what we need to do is focus upon our lives and the lives of those around us. Not to the neglect of the world, not to the neglect of thinking big about this call to the church to make disciples of all nations, but to the extent that I only live in my community. Not just my neighborhood, but my community of, of friends and my community of acquaintances. Those are the people that I, that I have a significant opportunity to invest in. And I need to think small when I think about this call to be a disciple myself, but also in this call to invite others to come and to be disciples as well. I need to think about the, the small things in my life. What it means to follow Jesus on Monday mornings. 
What it means to follow Jesus on Saturday evenings. What it means to follow Jesus in the middle of the afternoon on a Thursday. I need to think small. And I need to think, how is it that God wants me to invest in my new neighbor that just moved in next door? True story. It just happened this past Monday. Their daughter, we believe, broke her leg three days later. Um, we need to be aware of those, quote, small things in our sphere of influence. We may not... We may be overwhelmed by thinking, I'm going to be a culture changer. But your influence and my influence on the lives of people around us very well might begin to change the culture of their families. And it may begin to change the culture of a workplace. And it may begin to change a culture of a community as more and more people get involved in this discipleship to which we're called. Disciple making does engage our minds and it calls us to both think big and to think small. To not, to not be overwhelmed by our insignificance, but also to not be overwhelmed with all of the what ifs and never, and never act upon those seemingly insignificant opportunities that we have before us. To live faithfully for Jesus and to share Him with others. There's, there are the matters of disciple-making as well as the mind. And I'll be honest with you, I, I get a lot of this material from, um, from Seedbed, which is a, a, uh, an online organization that puts out different videos and articles and things dealing with biblical studies and theology issues and discipleship and all sorts of stuff. I was listening to a, a good bit this week, and, and so some of my... Uh, some of some of my thoughts here are coming directly from that uh, from that source. When we think of what it is to make disciples, we often think of of the very obvious, and that is information. You know, normally when we hear a discipleship program or or a uh, uh, discipleship classes and that sort of thing, we're normally thinking about the information of discipling. Learning the Bible, learning how many books of the Bible there are, how many are in the Old, how many are in the New. What are some of the themes of the Old Testament, themes of the New Testament? How's Matthew different from John? And doesn't Matthew sound an awful lot like Mark? And we, we deal with the information, and there certainly is a, a measure of information building that is a part of disciple making. We're learning about Jesus. We are learning who He is and what He's like. And that does involve gaining and retaining some information. Filling our minds with stuff about Jesus. And that's a very important part of disciple making. In fact, Jesus says very plainly, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And so there is a, a, an academic level of disciple making. That is part of the matter of what it means to be disciples and to make disciples without a doubt. But there's also imitation. And when you hear the word imitation, you might think negative. You might think, wait a minute, we're pretending here. As C.S. Lewis pointed out in, in a chapter called Let's Pretend in his book Mere Christianity, he said there are two different types of pretending. There is the deceitful type of 
uh, or deceptive t- type of pretending where you pretend that you're going to help a buddy out, but you don't. You leave him stranded. And that's not a good type of pretending. But there's the other type of pretending that says, you know what, I'm in a terribly foul mood and I probably ought not be because I'm being mean and nasty to my wife and kids. And you know what, I'm not feeling well, I've got a headache, I, I, I stubbed my toe, life's just not working out like I, like I thought it ought to this morning, I haven't had my coffee yet and I realize we're out of coffee. But you know what, I probably ought to be a little bit nicer to others, even though I'm not really feeling it. Now, it's a good thing at that point to begin pretending. To begin pretending that I have had that morning coffee. To begin pretending that I didn't stub my toe. And that that headache is going to be, it's not gone yet, but it'll soon be gone. I'm going to put a smile on my face. And what C.S. Lewis pointed out was, before long we realized that we've actually changed... We have changed our, our circumstances because of this imitation or this pretending that they, that they are indeed different. And that's a good type of pretending. That's a good type of, of imitation. It's the difference between uh, being a, a thermometer and a thermostat. You know, both of them read the temperature. But one of them has the opportunity to change the temperature. God calls us to be imitators. He calls us. Notice Jesus' invitation to the disciples. Follow me. Now we think, oh, okay, he's, he's walking this direction and he's calling them to walk that direction as well. Immediately, though, once we begin walking in the direction that Jesus is walking, we are imitating. We are going in his steps. He is leading and we are following. We mentioned a few weeks ago that, um, that God calls us as his sheep. He, he goes out and he looks for the lost sheep and he brings them back into the fold. And I mentioned that he also deputizes the sheep and he sends those sheep back out. Um, and, and in the life of discipleship, as we're gaining information about Jesus and as we're learning what it is to imitate Jesus, we're also called to imitate others that are faithfully able to show us how Jesus lives. Paul captured it very well in his first letter to the Corinthians. He said, he said follow me as I follow Christ. And the Greek literally says, be imitators of me as I also am of Christ. Pretend to be like me because you'll be led in the right direction because I'm pretending to be like Jesus. Mike Breen, a, um, uh, an author and theologian and pastor, he said, Christians look like shepherds from behind and sheep from the front. Because we're called to lead. We're called to lead others. We're called to be following as well. And so from the front, we look like sheep. We're following the ones ahead of us. But from the back to to those that are following us, we look like shepherds. Because we're leading the way. Showing them which way to go. There is this this matter of, of imitation that is a part of disciple making. Because disciple making and becoming disciples is not just about filling our minds with information. It's about that information beginning to transform our lives 
so that our lives begin to imitate this one that we are following. So much so that we're able to invite others, come, come, let's go follow after Jesus together. There are people in my life, uh, particularly when I was growing up, that that I looked to and I knew they weren't God. I knew they weren't Jesus. I knew they weren't, uh, you know, the reincarnate Christ or anything like that. But I knew that they were faithful witnesses and I knew that they could be faithfully followed. I knew I could trust them. I knew I could I could put my weight on them. I knew that I could I could follow where they were leading because they were not leading me astray. And we live in a culture that thinks that everybody that bears the name Christian is suspect. And everybody that bears the name of Christian is just a, a hypocrite. And they're, they're a disappointment waiting to happen. And so don't follow them. You just follow Jesus. But the fact is that throughout the scriptures, we've got testimony of lives that were lived faithfully for Jesus. And throughout 2,000 years of church history, we have testimony throughout the pages of history of lives that were lived faithfully for Jesus that we can glean from and, and learn from so that, we can, so that we can figure out how can I tangibly live my life faithfully for Christ? Because this guy did it and that lady did it. I want to see what made them stand out and begin imitating them. This matter of disciple making involves information and imitation, but it also involves innovation. And the word innovate means to make new. And here I'm not suggesting that we recreate the gospel, but instead I'm suggesting, and I think it's very clear in the pages of Scripture, that we allow the gospel to give newness to our lives and therefore give newness to the lives of others. Innovation is about refreshing. It's about creativity. And as we live our lives faithfully for Jesus, as we follow Him, there's going to have to be some measure of innovation on our part. What does it mean to follow Jesus when this happens at work? What does it mean to follow Jesus when that disappointment sets in? What does it mean to follow Jesus when life has now been turned upside down? What does it mean to follow Jesus when everything's going very well? This does not necessarily all deal with catastrophe or bad news. This could deal with just normal news in life. Hey, there's a new neighbor. They've got kids. Their kids are my kids' age. I wonder do they go to church. I wonder how I could find out if they go to church. I wonder how quickly I could find an opportunity to become friends. That's innovation. And that's what it takes to faithfully live as disciples and to faithfully call others to be disciples. Because when we're inviting others to be disciples, it is important that we keep in mind that we have a couple of responsibilities. We have a responsibility to be personable to others. To live tangibly before them. Our faith in Jesus does not escape us from the worries and troubles and disappointments and triumphs of this life. We are called to tangibly live 
faithfully for Jesus. Being personable also involves being a bit transparent. It's, it's okay to allow others to see your scars. It's okay to allow others to see the real you sometimes. We ought not be living lives hidden behind walls. And being personable also, of course, means being friendly. We need to be people who winsomely interact with others. It's, it amazes me how easily kids can make friends. The very night that our new neighbors were moving in, we, we pull in the driveway. It's pitch black. It's probably 9 o'clock at night. They're un- still unloading the truck, and I'm walking down the sidewalk, just took some stuff in, and, and I notice what looks like the, the, the dad in the driveway. And so I kind of waved, and he waved, and he starts climbing up the hill, and and I said, hey, be careful, you're going to die on that hill. I mean, it's kind of an awkward thing to say somebody, first thing to say to somebody. If we become friends, I'll, I'll remind him down the road. You remember the first thing I said to you, you're going to die on that hill? Because uh, it's, you know, got leaves that are like this thick and it's extremely steep and trees and branches everywhere and dead snakes that I've killed that I've tossed down there. But um, true story. Um, yeah. But uh, with, within seconds, he's, uh, he's up in the driveway, and I thought, man, this guy's he's, he's friendly. But amazingly, his, uh, one of his daughters comes up there, and my kids are all gathered around her, and they're exchanging names. They're, hey, do you go to school? Where do you go to school? What time will you be home tomorrow? Can we play tomorrow? And they're automatically making friends. And Imogene goes in the house. Emery, guess what? The neighbors, they've got a daughter named Emery. Within minutes of, of, of meeting them, they, they, they know the names, they know the ages, they know everything, and they're already making plans to play tomorrow. They did play that very next day on Tuesday. Now, we adults, we often find it very difficult to do that sort of thing. We, we notice a new coworker and we kind of hide behind the cubby hole or whatever, and we think, oh, my goodness, I hope I don't run into him in the break room. It'd be kind of awkward. What would I say? What would I do? What if I accidentally grabbed the decaf instead of the regular? That would be weird. We get really weird about making friends. But this idea of innovation in our lives following Jesus and inviting others to follow Him as well, it does call us to be personable. And it calls us also to be purposeful. Being purposeful involves being wise. Thinking about situations in life thinking about how to live thinking about how to interact it involves being wise but it also involves being sensitive being aware of what's going on not not being easily easy to tears sensitive but but being aware of what's happening noticing when someone doesn't quite seem to be themselves and asking hey is everything all right what's going on noticing when someone seems to be on on uh uh, having a good day. Hey, you seem awfully cheerful. What, what's going on in life? Being sensitive when folks are putting up walls to not push too hard. We don't want to be spiritually trespassing. We want to make sure that we become friends and allow them to open up to us. 
But we also want to be aware enough about how our relationship is going with others to know when we can open up, when we can share. Because being purposeful also means being intentional. Living our lives intentionally for the sake of the gospel. People don't just happen to become Christians. They become Christians. They, be- they begin following Jesus because someone invited them to follow Jesus. Because they realize that this person who follows Jesus seems to have some things going well. They seem to be finding some joy in this. They seem to be finding some peace in this. Not that they've got life all together, but they've been tangible and transparent enough before me that I realize, man, following Jesus is is a great thing for them, despite its sacrifices. The matter of disciple-making calls us to live innovatively before others. I'll be honest and transparent with you. There's another reason I've been preaching so much on discipleship and its relationship to evangelism lately. And why I say that it's of the utmost importance. That is because discipleship assumes disciple making. To be a disciple of Jesus assumes that I am inviting others to be disciples of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus, if we are faithfully following Him, then we must necessarily be inviting others to follow Him. Maybe not in, a, in, a, in, in what we think is a, uh, a flamboyant way. We may be timid people. We may be you know, intimidated uh, uh, about sharing our faith with others. But in some way, in some measure, if we are faithfully following Jesus then our lives must be calling others to do the same. Whether they are our children or our children's friends, or whether they are a co-worker, or whether they are the cashier at the grocery store that we see twice a week, every single week. Somehow, some way, if we are disciples, then it is assumed that we are making other disciples. Because we are the ones who are brought in, and here's where that movement comes into play, Annabelle, Because we are the ones who are called in, we're brought in, in order to be sent out so that we can bring others in. That's what discipleship looks like. We are brought into the family of God. We are brought into the community. We are welcomed by Jesus. Come, follow me. Come, be with me. Now go. And as you're going, bring others back with you. That's what the movement of discipleship looks like. And it's a a never-ending cycle. It's one of the things that is highlighted by acolytes. You you, You know what an acolyte is. Typically, an acolyte would be the ones that would light the candles. And the amazing thing about acolytes is they begin the service. And the service doesn't begin until the acolytes come in, they light the candles, and now it's time to worship. And at the end of the service, what the acolytes do is they come, they they take their little 
lighters and they relight their lighters from the candles. They snuff out the candles and they lead that light back out of the sanctuary. Reminding the church that we have come in in the light of Jesus and now we are going back out to the world to bear that light to the world. And what do we do the next week? We bring that light back in so that we can go back out and bear that light to the world. All the while, it's expected that we're bringing others back in with us because that's what disciples do. You could say that disciples are the brought in to be sent out to bring others in ones. That's the movement. That is the motion that is discipleship. Being brought in to be sent out to bring others in. Our, our guiding principle at Faith Methodist from the, from the earliest days of its, uh, of its beginning has been making more and better disciples. Making more and better disciples. We need to be about making disciples. We need to be about being faithful disciples because as we are making disciples, we are being faithful as His disciples. There always comes a point at the end of a sermon where it's time to stop talking about it and stop thinking about it and to go out and start doing it. As we're going this morning, remember, we are bearing the light of Jesus to the world. We have been brought in as His people to be strengthened, to be encouraged, as the Hebrews writer said, to stir up love and good works among one another. And therefore, we ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves but we are brought in so that having been built up, having been strengthened, we can then go out and bear Jesus to the world so that we can invite the world to come back in with us next week. As you're making your way down the hall, you'll notice a sign saying, Be salt and light. To be salt and light takes a little bit of thought on our part. We've got to think about what does it mean for me to be salt and light this week? What does it mean? Let's pray.